this thing. Huskies are down a pair. Three seconds remaining for the football game. Placement is down. The kick is up, and the kick is tell us gone. The kick is gone. Huskies win. Goodbye, Ball State. Oh, man, his time expires. 30, 29. That is your final on Brigham Field and Dekel. At the gun, John Richardson launched a 32-yard field goal through the uprights to give the NIU Huskies a 30-29 victory over the Ball State Cardinals last Wednesday. The Huskies not only regained the coveted Bronstock trophy, but the team picked to finish last in the West in the preseason polls now has a chance to claim a division title with one more win. That victory could come this Wednesday when NIU heads to Buffalo for their final road game of the season to face the Bulls on ESPN2. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. I'm James Krause, the sports editor at the Northern Star, and this is the Red Black Football Podcast, a packed show for you today, the highlight of which being an interview with John Richardson. After his game-winning field goal and celebration dominated the headlines of college football last week, Plus, I talk with Anthony DeChico from the UB Spectrum about what to expect from a Buffalo team trying to rediscover their identity under a new head coach. The Huskies had vengeance on their minds entering Husky Stadium on Wednesday night, just ahead of Veterans Day. Fresh off a loss to Kent State, the Huskies were set on reclaiming the Bronstock Trophy for the first time in the tenure of head coach Thomas Hammock. The team even practiced running over to get the trophy from the Ball State sidelines after winning earlier in the week. But just like the rest of the game, even that failed to go off without error. Turnovers put the Huskies down early in the first quarter. Ball State scored a field goal off a Rocky Lombardi interception and found the end zone first following a fumble by Trayvon Rudolph. Clip. Caught. Touchdown. Ball State. Jay Sean Jackson, the Cincinnati transfer. The call of the Plitt to Johnson touchdown, courtesy of ESPN2, the Huskies had just the man to start digging themselves out of that hole, and that was running back Jay Ducker had this run to start the second quarter among a 155-yard rushing day. Third and short, that's going to be a first down and more for Ducker. Gets inside the 15, and he's collared at about the 10-yard line by Cosby. That drive would end in a touchdown run by Clint Rakovich. The Huskies would end up tying the game before the half thanks to a long touchdown pass by Lombardi to a wide-open Cole Tucker. Here's Lombardi sliding to his left after taking a snap. He's going to throw long. Pass is caught in the middle to the goal line. Cole Tucker and the Northern Illinois touchdown. Oh, my goodness. 58 yards for the score, that call from the Huskies radio network. The score at the half tied 17-17, with NIU having all the momentum on their side going into the third, but the Cardinals quickly deflated the Husky Stadium crowd with a blocked punt resulting in a safety to give the Cardinals the lead back. On the ensuing drive by Ball State, they went ahead more with a second touchdown run by Justin Hall the day that made the score 26-17. NIU was able to bring it back to a one-score game before going on a lengthy drive in the fourth quarter, highlighted by a miraculous fourth-down conversion and punctuated by a touchdown run by Ducker. Play clock inside of five. Lombardi in trouble. Shovels it ahead, complete to Ratkovich. Holy cow, like Houdini, he pulls a rabbit out of his hat. 
Ducker cuts it up. Makes his way to the end zone. Touchdown, Northern Illinois. That 10-yard run ended a 7-minute, 22-second drive to give NIU their first lead to the game, but it didn't even last a minute as Ball State drove down the field and got back in front with a field goal by Jacob Lewis. With 1 minute 43 seconds left, the Huskies drove into Cardinals territory before an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on Ball State gave NIU a bonus 12 yards and a chip shot for Richardson. Richardson from 32 yards out and the win. Northern Illinois wins it. And John Richardson is a hero again. In a celebration and finish that will live on in infamy, NIU wins back the Bronstock Trophy 30-29 and eliminates their rival Ball State from MAC title contention. I mentioned that practicing to run to get the trophy, there's a problem with that for NIU. The trophy was not on the Ball State sideline. It was in the locker room for Ball State. And so John Richardson, right after kicking the uh, game-winning field goal, he ran over to that sideline to go get the trophy, and no trophy there. He had to basically ad-lib what to do from there, threw his arms up in the air, ran along the sideline, ran back onto the field, said he had ice water in his veins, and it caught headlines all over the country. TMZ, USA Today, uh, basically any football Twitter uh, account you can think of, they had Richardson's celebration uh, tweeted out, uh, and that led to a really interesting post-game press conference uh, and celebration generally from this team. The post-game attitude seemed to be joy, relief, uh, maybe from just having that close of a game and getting back the Bronstock trophy. Uh, Hammock asked an interesting question. Uh, if we in the media are having as much fun covering it as it is for them uh and i think an easy answer is yes yes we're definitely having a lot of fun watching this team uh and some of the games they end up finding themselves in while richardson may have been the guy getting a lot of the headlines after that game a lot of this game goes down to rocky lombardi and his impressive effort down the stretch 264 yards turnover free after that interception in the first quarter and an incredible throw to uh, Cole Tucker on that 17-17 touchdown. Also had a lot to do uh, with those last two drives. First off, shovel pass to Clint Rakovich. You heard the highlight there. If you haven't gotten to see it, go check it out. A championship moment, according to Thomas Hammock, after that game. And actually, Anthony DeChico brings it up later on in the show when we talk to him. Uh, he also had a big role in the game-winning drive. Lombardi ran for one first down and also passed for two first downs that really got NIU into field goal range already pretty quickly in that drive, 18 seconds left. And that is when Ball State decided to call a timeout inexplicably. They had all three remaining, and so they decided to burn one. And then, upon burning a second, a Ball State player body-slammed Clint Rakovich, and that gave NIU half the distance to the goal, a free 12 yards, and that set up a really short field goal uh, for John Richardson. We'll talk about that, uh, uh, his reaction to just all of that going on in a little bit as well. Tons of uh, other things to mention, tons of notable things from this game. First of all, 
Jay Ducker had a massive bounce back game for the Huskies, 155 rushing yards. They struggled to get it going against uh, Kent State in the first half. Uh, They got it going late. Unfortunately, it was a little bit too little too late. Uh, But Ducker had a lot of great runs throughout this game. He had the go-ahead touchdown, of course. Uh, and he made a lot of plays that looked to be losses, and he turned them into gains, uh, where he was able to shake off a defender or two in the backfield, get back to the line, and then get a little bit more. We talked about the passing game was going to see a lot more pressure, especially after last week with the impressive efforts of Lombardi and Rudolph, the record-setting efforts of those two. Rudolph had another 100-yard game, 108 yards uh, receiving, as did Cole Tucker, 103 yards Tucker had six catches in that game. Rudolph had eight. The defense locked down Drew Plitt and a Ball State Cardinals offense that was really selling out on the deep ball early and often. Uh, 11 for 26 on the day for Drew Plitt, 126 yards passing, had a ball that looked to be intercepted uh, late in the second half, but it was overturned by replay officials. Javon Bird looked to have picked off a pass, But unfortunately, the officials ruled that it was taken away by the Ball State receiver. It would have been only the second interception this season by NIU, and it would have been a critical one. It could have set NIU up to potentially go ahead before halftime. It would have brought the turnover margin down from two given away to one given away. Uh, But it wasn't just turnovers that were the problem for NIU in this game. Two penalties uh, in a relatively clean game basically took a big swing in the final score of this game uh, if it were for the late-game heroics of the Huskies. A touchdown by Jay Ducker in the first half was taken off the board because of a leg-sweep penalty uh, against the offensive line. That turned a touchdown into a field goal. That's a four-point swing. In the second half, the opening play of the second half, Ducker had a 20-yard run that got NIU close to midfield instead They got a holding penalty, and that backed them up to their own 10. A few plays later, from their own 10, uh, the blocked punt comes in, and essentially that's a nine-point swing because not only did the Cardinals get the safety in the two points, but they also got the next possession and scored on the ensuing drive. So that's essentially, if we look down later in the game and they don't win this, you're looking at a a 13-point swing. Uh, from just those two penalties, uh, things that NIU can clean up going into this game. John Richardson, we talked about him, a perfect 3-for-3 in this game, and he now has the most field goals in the MAC. NIU probably, I'd imagine, one of the most accurate kicking teams in the MAC uh, when you add in uh, Kavon Woodle and his kicking game earlier in the season. Speaking of Richardson, he joins us next. We're going to talk about the celebration, just generally everything that went on in a wild final minute 43 seconds and what he's looking forward to the rest of the way. That's coming up next on the Red Black Football Podcast. Joining me now on the show, uh, redshirt sophomore kicker John Richardson. John, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me. So we're gonna. I'll ask you about the the obviously the kick, the celebration, all that. The first thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, the penalty 
on the drive, the, the unsportsmanlike call. You're over there, I'm assuming you're practicing your kicks and things like that, going into your routine, and suddenly, oh, you've got 12 extra yards that they just gave you. Does your, like, how do you react to that on the sidelines? I mean, I think I kind of reacted the same way everyone else did. I heard everyone just kind of talking underneath their breaths, like, the game's over. They just dug themselves a grave. They just put us right up, right up right in front of it, and everyone was pretty much just saying that was it. Does that put more pressure on you, saying, oh, this is a gimme for John? Nah. I mean, I feel like just putting it that close, it's right there. I mean, you just got to go out there and be confident in yourself that you're not going to miss that kick. Uh, the kick... Uh, one of the things they did late with those extra seconds and extra field is they put it right in the middle of the field for you. Is that yeah. your preferred spot, I'm guessing? Yeah, I'd say that's for sure everybody's. I mean, if you could just hit a straight ball every time, that's what you're trying to do out there. So now I'll ask you what everyone wants to know about, which is the celebration. Uh, they mentioned uh, afterwards they had practiced sort of the celebration and run to the sidelines. Yeah. Take me through running to the sidelines and getting there and, and what happened next. Yeah, so I mean, before the kick, uh, one of the tight ends, one of the wings on field goal, Liam, was talking about let's just run right to the stock after the field goal. And that's what we were practicing all week. So made the kick, ran over there, no, no trophy. So <laughs> just kind of stuck my arms up, was confused, looking around for everyone else. Thought I had to do something else, so <laughs> hopped the bench and then just started doing my thing across the field. Because... I remember it was the night earlier, the Akron kicker. Yeah, that's kind of what I was mimicking because I was like, what? yeah, it was kind of like I saw him doing. I'm like, this guy lost. They still lost with two minutes left, and he was going berserk on the field. I'm like, so you had to top it. I was like, might as well do something. <laughs> Talk about just in general, not just you, but also uh, uh, Woodle earlier this year and how these high pressure situations where, you know, Hammock has talked about only need one point to beat some of these teams yeah. or that's all that matters yeah just the confidence and just in general this whole special teams unit mm -hmm. uh in those late game situations we've heard about it from the offense and the defense what yeah. about the special teams group i mean obviously we got a pretty sound solid group there as you have seen i was out a week and we had my guy go in there and never missed a beat thing looked like thing looked like i could have been in there kicking the field goals <laughs> like that's how spot on the operation was but I feel like we know every week going into the game, especially early on in the games, that it's going to come down to us at the end of the game. We're always staying loose and ready because we know eventually our number is going to get called, whether it's at the end of the fourth quarter or sometime within that time frame a little bit earlier. But those games always come down to something crazy at the end. Obviously, the, the celebration you had kind of became it blew up the internet that night sort of a big highlight game for you yeah. guys with a lot of highlights and you obviously stood out among the rest mm -hmm. what was did you get a chance to read through social media and see some of the reaction did you have a favorite like <laughs> like yeah. response or anything I mean, like that one of them actually had me laughing pretty hard was someone with the name john m richardson my same exact name commented on the instagram post making john richardson's out there proud everywhere <laughs> It had like seven or eight likes from just John Richardson. And I thought it was the funniest thing. I for, don't know why. For a little bit, you became America's <laughs> favorite John Richardson. So good know. on that. Felt good. Last question I had. I know that obviously the preparation isn't totally different from game to game, but you're going into a Buffalo game and then potentially a game next week. And you kind of had this this week with Ball State with the wind. Uh, weather is going to start to become a factor later in the year. Yeah. Uh, how are you guys able to prepare for that You know, throughout the season? Just practicing outside every day. I mean, we're pretty much playing in the hardest place to kick every 
every day out there at practice. So just going out there and having those 20, 25 mile an hour winds at your face, coming from right to left, left to right, every day just prepares you for anything. Are you are you going to end up having to practice today? Today is when we're recording this. It's Friday. I'm pretty sure right now it's out yeah, there snowing. We'll be out there. I think. I think I have the day off today, but tomorrow I think for sure I'll be hitting some field goals outside. I think we'll be inside today, actually. Well, let's hope you get yeah. you get the chance to get out there and practice with uh, you know the snow and wind like that. We don't know what it, November weather oh, yeah. in in the it Midwest can be whatever. Outside now, and <laughs> John Richardson, thanks so much for thanks joining for the show. Me. Appreciate it. That was John Richardson talking about his celebration and reaction to kicking the game-winning field goal in the Bronze Dock Trophy game. Richardson actually said on Friday he's ready to move on from the celebration in the Ball State game. He isn't a guy who likes to take up too much of the spotlight. So let's follow that lead and let's move on to the Buffalo game. NIU opens as the rare favorite in this one, a one-point favorite at Buffalo with the over-under sitting at about 63.5 as of this recording. This Buffalo team has faced an uphill battle this year since the departure of Lance LaPolte to Kansas. Lance LaPolte coincidentally picked up a huge victory uh, with the Jayhawks in Austin, Texas over the Longhorns this weekend. Uh, For more on this game, however, I talked to UB Spectrum's senior sports editor, Anthony DeChico. That's next on the Red Black Football Podcast, sponsored by Pitsley Realty. Joining me now is Anthony DeChico, the senior sports editor from the UB Spectrum. Uh, you can find his work at ubspectrum.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at DeChico42. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm good, James. How are you? So I'm doing great, and it's been an up-and-down year for Buffalo after making the MAC championship last year. Obviously lost a ton of guys uh, in the draft and lost their head coach, Lance uh, Lepold left and took a job, I believe, at Kansas. Maurice Lindquist uh, has taken over at the head coaching position. How have you seen things change on and off the field under him? Well, we have to take into account that this guy got hired in May, so entirely, you know, so late into the process. At this point, he was ready to be the co-defensive coordinator of the University of Michigan. He gets an offer to be a, you know, Mac head coach, and he's scrambling to put together a staff. If you think about it, how many guys are really readily available to put a staff together at this point for a Mac school. So he's, he's grabbing guys from everywhere he can. He has a brand new coaching staff. He was able to get an old offensive coordinator from Marshall, uh, uh, Houston's, um, I think he was their line. He might've been their defensive coordinator too, but linebacker to former Arkansas state um, defensive coordinator, Joe Cawthon. Like he just grabbed guys from wherever he could to compile a staff. So I think the offense to start kind of leans on what UB did under coach Leipold, you know, in terms of run-heavy offense, there's definitely less formation variety and I think play variation in the offense. The offense is a little more basic, I think, just because it's his first year and it's all the coaches' first year working together. So the offense is a little more basic. Sometimes I complain it's almost unimaginative sometimes, the offense. Things seem a little more, a little bit more loose, I think. I think discipline is a problem this team has. There are quite a lot of penalties. And defensively you know he came in as a defensive head coach I expect the defense to be a little better especially recently back-to-back weeks giving up over 45 points 500 yards and one of them was the Bowling Green which isn't a great look 
So there's a lot of up and down with this uh, Coach Mo era to start, but he seems like a guy that's got a really good hand on his shoulders. He's only 37 years old, so he's one of the youngest coaches in the FBS. Obviously, you know, the Mac has a bunch of young coaches, but he's one, you know, one of the younger coaches in FBS. And I think they'll be just fine in the long run. But right now there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff they got to work out. And he's just still implementing kind of his core values. He's only been here since May. So I think you got to cut him some slack in terms of that. Yeah, it seems like he's trying to still get his feet under him here at uh, Buffalo. And while he's doing that, he's relying on what got Buffalo to the MAC title game last year. Uh, and that's the running game. But they're doing that without Jared Patterson, who is really – uh, their big key last year, they're still averaging 43 rushing attempts per game. What have you seen from the rushing game this year? Well, Dylan McDuffie safe, definitely taking a big step up. You know, this is the guy, local product, sweet home high school, kind of down the road from Buffalo. He's barely, you know, he barely played last season. This season, he kind of stepped into, you know, his role and he's really seizing the opportunity. Kevin Marks, everybody thought was going to be the lead back. He was the guy who split carries with Jarrett all last season, but McDuffie just looks like the more explosive back at this point. Also, you know, keep in mind, Marks has had a couple of injuries here and there, but Marks just doesn't look like the player he was last season. And if you look at McDuffie, he's a guy that's really kind of seized that role as the number one running back. You throw in Ron Cook Jr., he's a, he's a nice little, you know, speed, change of base back, kind of get him some swing passes out of the backfield. He can get some of those long stretch plays out of the shotgun. But the running game is fine. I think it lacks a lot of those explosive plays that they had last year with Jarrett for obvious reasons. One being the offensive line. You know, when Coach Leipold left, a couple offensive linemen went with them. A couple of all-Mac offensive linemen went, went with them. So they kind of had to restructure the offensive line. They have two remaining offensive linemen from last year, but you got three new guys you got to plug in there, plug and play. So I think the running game's fine. It's not what it was, it's not the monster it was last year, nor is it the two-headed monster because Kevin Marks, who's supposed to be the lead back you know, dealing with injuries, but even without the injuries before, hasn't really, I guess, been carrying his load. It's kind of mostly on McDuffie to take that role. So I think the running game is a staple of Buffalo, and I think it might always be a staple of Buffalo from what we're seeing, but it's definitely not the monster it was last year where you could just rely on it, you know, to 50, 60 carries, and then your quarterback can only throw 15 passes a game. It's just not that offense it was last year. One of the things that's kind of going on this year, you've written about it and Coach Hammock also talked about it at his weekly press conference uh, earlier, is they have a lot of guys who get touches on the field. And maybe that's part of just his first season getting an evaluation process of all these guys. Um, but you've talked about they got a lot of different people, the ball uh, in that offense. Who's a guy or two uh, that's really come out as a playmaker for this Buffalo team? Well, I think we got to start with Keon Williams, our you know number one wide receiver. I believe he's definitely top five in the MAC in receiving yardage. He's got a transfer from Eastern Michigan. You know, the receiving corps were a big question heading into the season, and I think with a guy like Keon, you get a guy that's been in the MAC before, has done it before. You know, he's in his graduate season, and he really sees the role of becoming the number one receiver on this football team. Uh, he's their go-to guy. I think last week, even a loss, I think he had like ten catches, hundred something yards, touchdown. He's he's legit as it gets, especially for a Mac wide receiver. He's he's a legit guy on the outside. And he was huge for them. Dom Johnson's a guy's been there for a while. Big, not necessarily a guy that stepped up, but just a big body target that's always been pretty reliable for them. Dual sport athlete, actually, you know, played basketball and actually participated in the NCAA tournament. You know, those teams that beat Arizona, Arizona State. He was on those teams. So 
he's a good receiver. And Jamari Gassett's uh, an interesting um, guy to look at. You know, got some pretty big offers, especially in the state of Florida, but elected to come to UB, you know, in terms of playing time. He's still young, but he's a guy that, that made a bunch of plays in the um, the Akron game. And I think he's a guy that, you know, kind of sneaks through the cracks that can um, – that's been a difference maker, but I would say mainly Keon Williams is definitely their number one go-to guy through the receiving corps. Let's touch back on something you mentioned, the defense, 56 points allowed to Bowling Green, 45 points allowed to Miami of Ohio, and 500 passing yards given up last week uh, to the Red Hawks. This is a defense that actually has fairly decent pass rushing stats on the season, but it seems like something's been missing the last two weeks defensively. What has it been that that hasn't been working for this group defensively the last two weeks that NIU could be looking to uh, exploit on Wednesday? They're giving, they're giving up the big play. UB just gives up the big play. That's all it is. It could be third and third and 20. They're giving it up. Third and 15, you know, second and 22. They're giving that up. That's just, that's been their kryptonite. It's I really noticed it in the Nebraska game. Now, of course, you're dealing with a different type of quarterback and Adrian Martinez. That guy is legit as it gets. You know, all the, all the you know, offers he got out of high school. He's one of the best quarterbacks. I think, you know, in, in California when he was coming out of high school. So that might, you know, that's different. But they give up too many big plays. With Coach Cawthon's kind of – their defensive coordinator, Joe Cawthon, at Arkansas State in the, in the Sun Belt and other places, he, his defense was emphasized on generating turnovers, kind of aggressive turnover-based defense. And those turnovers aren't really coming. The only week those turnovers really came was against Old Dominion. But if you look at the rest of the games, those turnovers just aren't coming at a rate they need to. We're always turning the ball over more than we're getting turnovers, which is a huge problem. I think turnover margin is a big problem for this team. And defensively, they can get to the quarterback. Like you said, they're getting, they have plenty of good pass rushers. Max Michelle, um, Kyler Lang is a guy who really stepped up. Had three and a half sacks against Akron. Um, C.J. Bazeal is the guy that stepped up. Eric Black, they have, unfortunately, Taylor Riggins was supposed to be the, the big pass rusher for this team. Got he always had an injury history. Got hurt again. Looks like he's probably out for the season. But the, like you said, James, the pass rushing is always there. It's not the pass rushing that's the problem. It's once you get the sack and it's second and 17, and then you give up the 17 yards in one play, that's the problem. So that's that's that along with the turnover. Inability to create turnovers is probably the two biggest problems for this team. Kickoff for this game is scheduled at 6 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. Eastern. I believe that's on ESPN2. A win sends NIU to Detroit for the first time since 2018, where coincidentally they beat a, a very good Buffalo team at the time. But obviously these are two teams that since them seem to be moving in sort of opposite directions. The one similarity they share uh, that I've noticed, A, well, I guess two similarities. They both love to run the ball. And these are both teams that perform best in the second half and late in games when the pressure is on. Uh, so those few drives at the beginning of the game uh, are going to be critical maybe down the line. To you, what's the biggest thing Buffalo will need to focus on this game? I think on defense, you got to contain, I mean, you know all about them, Rocky Lombardi. I, I, watched, I watched the last game against Ball State. Kid's good. Kids, I think that kid's a good quarterback, especially in this conference. He's a really good quarterback. The play that's out to me is you saw when he was falling down and he was still able to get that shovel pass off to the running back. That's a that's a big time play, especially at that point in the game to kind of keep that drive alive. Right, they were still down at that point, right? They were down. Yeah, they, they were looking for the touchdown still. 
yeah, they were down at that point. And, you know, for him to be able to lead them through the, you know, the grittiness and just the fire within that kid's really impressive. And I think he's the biggest kid, you know, thing that they got to watch out for. Because, they, like I said, they give up the big play. They give up the big play. So I think if Lombardi gets going, this this team's in for a lot of trouble. That's Anthony DeChico, the senior sports editor at the UB Spectrum. Thanks again, Anthony. We appreciate your time. Of course. Appreciate it, James. Thank you. That was Anthony DeChico, whose work, again, you can check out at ubspectrum.com. That's U-B-S-P-E-C-T-R-U-M.com. Tons of great Buffalo sports content there and tons of great stuff at the Northern Star uh, to dig into this week. I'll get into that in a second, but first, before we go, here's the three and out. First of all, NIU controls their destiny in the West, who advances to Detroit from the East is still up in the air. Kent State and Miami enter Week 12 tied for first with Ohio, setting a game back of both with a tiebreaker advantage over the Red Hawks. Kent State visits Akron Saturday at 11 a.m. on ESPN+, while Miami hosts Bowling Green Tuesday night at 7 p.m. on ESPNU. Second, a potential eliminator for the college football playoff kicks off at 11 a.m. Saturday on ABC. Michigan State visits Ohio State with the winner controlling their destiny in the Big Ten East. Also, Cincinnati faces their biggest conference test to date when they host Southern Methodist University at 2.30 on ESPN. (laughs) Finally, Jimmy Lake has been fired by Washington in just his second year with the program. 13 games into his tenure, Washington began the season ranked 20th in the country and now sit at 4-6 following a loss to Arizona State. Defensive coordinator Bob Gregory will serve as the interim coach for the remainder of the year. Speaking of Washington, a wild week for NIU athletics. Kick-started Tuesday when NIU beat Washington in men's basketball to start the year and the Rashawn Burno era of that team. Wednesday night, of course, as we've talked about all show, NIU wins the Bronx stock. There's tons of content from that game that you can find at northernstar.info. And then Thursday and Sunday, a huge victory for the men's soccer team. They win big Thursday against Bowling Green after the tie earlier in the year. And then Sunday, they knock off Georgia State, and they win the Mid-American Conference Men's Soccer Championship with a late goal in overtime by Nick Mar- uh, Markanich. And it's going to put NIU into the NCAA tournament. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more next week, depending on where they go. You can follow along all the news and information from not just those sports, but every sport at NIU at northernstar.info. Eight of NIU's 10 games so far this season have been decided by one score or less, and now four have been decided by only one point. As Thomas Hammock has said, he only needs one point more than the other guy to win a game, and that's all he needs this weekend to secure a spot in the Mid-American Conference Championship game in Detroit. We'll have the story of the game next week, plus we'll talk about the season finale to come for the Huskies against Western Michigan at Husky Stadium. That is all to come next week here on the Red Black Football Podcast. Thank you.